Our scripture reading is from the very familiar 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that as our faithful shepherd, you come even this morning to shepherd us and nourish us, to transform us, restore us, Lord, to make yourself known to us that we may trust you and give ourselves up to you. We, even now, Lord, would call you shepherd and rest in you to do your great work in us. Oh, Lord, we are indeed sheep. We must have you, Lord. You have given yourself so freely to us in your own death and resurrection You intercede for us constantly, Lord. You rule the world that you might cause all things to work together for good for your people. May we look expectantly for you to do us good even now. For Jesus' sake, amen. We're beginning a series today, which uh, you can tell from the very psalm of popular uh, texts. So, you likely will have heard of many of the passages that we preach for the rest of the summer, and perhaps some of them will be your favorite uh, texts. Uh, Two images come to mind as I think about the advance of phones in the past uh, now close to 20 years, because 20 years ago in the little town of Columbus, Mississippi, 30,000 strong, I was introduced to the first cell phone I had ever seen. Big whopping thing that goes into your car, you know, and sits. But we just, we thought, first we thought, who would ever need a phone in the car? You know, (laughs) why would you ever need that? What's the point of that? And and then we thought, we would look at it now and just laugh at this giant object, you know, that was from here to here, and yet it was the coolest thing we'd ever seen. I go then to almost not quite 10 years ago when John Weiser and myself were meeting in our office to pray with or discuss things with Rob Hamby. Uh, and we would meet regularly just to share our lives. And, and this particular day, he came in with the first iPhone I had ever seen. I mean, just to hold it up and flip through his albums, and my jaw was on the floor, you know. That, and then he would show up that it, it can 
uh, it's a navigation thing. It's got all these apps on it. It, uh, you have music, you can read books. I just couldn't, it's like a new world was open to me, you know, and you can imagine if you had one and you were describing everything it could do to people that had no idea that there was such a thing as a smartphone, you know, just, yeah, it can do this. Yeah, it can do. That's kind of what the psalmist is doing with God as his shepherd. Okay. He is overwhelmed, overjoyed at who his God is. The Lord is my shepherd. Let me tell you all the things that he does for me. Let me describe to you what a shepherd he is. So that, and of course, his object in honoring him and adoring him, admiring him before us, so to speak, is to draw us in, to lure us into this joy, to lure us into this trust. So that we ourselves can say, eventually, he is my shepherd as well. I have taken comfort in this one. I can say, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And so, whether uh, you think about fear or you think about maybe more disobedience, whatever thing we struggle with is directly related to whether we believe that he is our shepherd. Okay, every fear you have is related to whether you believe that he is your shepherd. Every sin you struggle with, as Brian alluded to, has to do with whether you believe the Lord is your shepherd. Whether you are putting yourself in his hands or you're not putting yourself in his hands. Whether you submit yourself to his kind guidance and instruction or you do not. And so here's the psalmist saying... I've had all of these benefits, and I expect these further benefits from this God. And that's what we, where we must be, in the constant expectation of His grace and favor as our shepherd. That's what honors this shepherd. A constant expectation of His grace and favor. And I would encourage you that your own unworthiness, to allow your own unworthiness to discount His shepherding care or to disconnect you from His shepherding care is to deny God Himself. Because we, we like that little out. I'm just so unworthy. You know, I, I'm, I don't deserve and so we push ourselves away from his care. We, we think, I, I, I'll, I'll keep myself distant from that. That is to deny God himself and to deny the greatness of his shepherding care that overcomes everything and doesn't depend on your goodness to begin with. It depends on his will to do you good. So don't allow your unworthiness to distance you from this kind God, to deny the true God, because this is God. This is the only God there is. <laughs> it may not be your personal idol, your picture of whatever God is in your head, but this is the true God who is a shepherd to anyone who will put themselves in his hands. There is no other God. <laughs> the Lord is shepherd and he is your shepherd if you will submit to him. So we'll look at it under two basic heads, his, his provision as our shepherd and his protection as our shepherd. Okay. His provision and protection. 
Yes, we always do alliteration on Sunday morning. No, we rarely do, actually. But <clears throat> And also, just in terms of the order of the psalm, one, one fellow has this uh, as the first four verses, the Lord is my shepherd, and then verses 5 and 6, the Lord is my host. Okay, because the image seems to change there of the host having uh, us as his guest and abundantly providing for us. But under both of those images, you'll see provision and protection. Okay, provision and protection as our shepherd, provision and protection as our host. And that's how we'll move forward. So first, provision. In this first statement, it's kind of the grand overall umbrella statement that the Lord is my shepherd, I will not lack anything. He uniformly and graciously provides for me. He is Yahweh, that's the word Lord here, the word uh, by which God introduces himself in Exodus to say, I am. And, and he means by this, I am everything, I, all that I have and all that I am, I dedicate it to your goodness, to your, your good. And so this Yahweh is my shepherd. He's the possessor of everything. He himself has all things. And so if I belong to him, I can lack nothing because he gives me all that he has, all good things for me. And he doesn't have to name a whole bunch of other things that he has. He can simply say, the Lord is my shepherd. That's enough. I'm good. Okay. I've got it all. If the Lord is my shepherd, he gives everything that I need. And of course, that includes his normal means of worship and fellowship with his people and all that kind of thing. So he's speaking here of God's royal provisions and this means that he omits nothing that would contribute to your true happiness. He never omits anything to your life that will contribute to your true happiness, ever. Though we think that many, many times. You have omitted something that I think would make me happy and really would contribute to my true happiness, and you took it away. But as we see who he is and what he does and his uh, unlimited commitment to us, we can say, I truly, in its essence, lack nothing. And notice he says, he is my shepherd. And as one has said, if God's promises are going to help you, you have to embrace them. Not just, I know he's a shepherd, but to embrace him and rest in him is to say, you're my shepherd. And this was an outstanding statement because many times God refers himself as the shepherd of Israel. But you see, here's David saying, yes, he is. He is the shepherd for his people. And maybe you might say the same thing. I know he's the shepherd for his people. He's my shepherd. That's where your faith has to get. My shepherd. He's devoted to me, particularly in this way. And so faith can turn uh, his promise into true deliverance in your life. It can turn sorrow in your life into joy. It can turn loss into gain and suffering into privilege and prisons into palaces and dangers into comforts and death into life if you know that he is your shepherd.
And the word shepherd really can bring us into a kind of comfort and confidence, just like the word father. But to some of us, father is not a great word. I mean, it's a fact. I've talked to many of you about this because your earthly father was very unlike uh, God as father. And perhaps you were hurt by your father. Perhaps you were not protected by your father. Perhaps you were abandoned by your father. And perhaps the word father makes you kind of sick. If you just to be honest, it just makes you kind of sick. It brings terrible memories to mind. It maybe make you ache, maybe makes you ache for something you didn't have. All of its associations are bad. But maybe your associations are not bad with shepherding, right? You may have heard of bad shepherds, but you haven't personally (laughs) been hurt by a shepherd, right? Um, I would suggest to you that you can get to the word father through the word shepherd, okay? Get to the word father through the word shepherd. Both speak of tender and sacrificial care. So let shepherd interpret father. Let shepherd define father. Let it lead you to father. Let shepherd be a boat that can get you to the safe mainland of father, a train that helps you get to the gracious city of father. He is dedicated to you as shepherd and therefore father. And he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, it's not feed in green pastures. It's lie down in green pastures. And we learn from shepherds and others that sheep are jumpy, skittish animals, right? Always on edge, always in a stew, always quaking in their hooves. Ask any pharmacist, he'll tell you that he sells more tranquilizers to his sheep customers than any other animal. Um, And so uh, sheep are just this way. Uh, One guy tells of uh, a herd of 200 sheep uh, being sitting there calmly in the field. A Pekingese dog jumps out of a car and they 200 of them bolt, you know. You kind of wonder, what did you think? It was a rat with its face kicked in? I mean, is that what scared you, you know? And a jumpy sheep will not lie down unless she has complete confidence that everything is well. And it's the shepherd's duty to enable the sheep to have this confidence. And he says, that's what my shepherd does for me. He gives me this comfort and confidence. He enables me to lie down in peace and safety without Fear. The, the idea of, of green pasture is the rest and pleasantness of grass even, okay? You know what it is to walk on hot gravel or hot pavement and then you step out on the cool grass and you wouldn't have dared taken your shoes off before, but now the shoes are off and you're just, you know, frolicking in the grass. Um, uh, especially if you're 62, you frolic in, in the grass. That's what you do. Um, and it's that idea, that's more of the image, the pleasantness of the grass. And the idea of the waters is, is a resting place with abundant water supply. Kind of the feel of an oasis, you see. Rest and refreshment. 
And so in the midst of dryness and heat, there's this idea of tasting the essence of life in the difficulty of life. Okay, In the desert places where they are, here he is resting and and receiving life from this God. And so, brothers and sisters, everything in life absolutely comes to you as a gift, as always God meeting your need in dry places. Always God wants to enable you to taste the oasis of his life and presence, his goodness and grace in the midst of desert places. He's not promising to take away your desert place. He's not promising that you're not going to live in a cursed world suddenly. But he promises. He said, this is the, what my shepherd does for me. He really makes me enjoy this rest and refreshment in the midst of desert places. This is what he does. And so everything in, in God's work in your life is, is truly, if we can get inside of it, if you could see the uh, top of it, so to speak, it is his faithful service to your life and, and every providence is a part of his enriching you so that you could taste this oasis so that you could know him and experience him in the midst of the desert. And see, this is especially what he likes to do. And you better get used to it, okay? That he wants to slake your thirst when you're thirsty. He wants to meet your need when it doesn't look like your need could be met. And we're so surprised by difficulty. And God says, no, that's what I work with. That's what I do is I bring you into oasis when you don't expect an oasis. But I make you live there in the midst of it. We'll get to more of that as we get through this psalm. And so uh, to drop down more provision, he says in verse 5, you prepare a table before me. See, the same idea, making me lie down in pastures and being beside still waters is a similar image, it's a different image, but about a similar thing of preparing a table before me, anointing my head with oil, my cup overflows. And uh, anointing with oil is the idea of joy and honor, uh, aromatic oil. I, I guess the closest thing we would have is if you had an aromatic hot towel on an airplane, you know, and you're, you've been really bothered and, and running through the airport and suddenly... Oh, yeah, that feels good, you know, and you're honored with this little detention. Uh, It was far greater than that for them. But this is what God does for you, anointing you, making you joyful and refreshed in his presence. Uh, Luther says, you fill my cup brimfill, right? It, it, It overflows. I supply you with more than you need. I want you to sit at table and be richly supplied with what I have so that uh, you can have everything that could, under the circumstance, be had. That's, that's the way they would do it then, not just giving somebody a, an extra loaf. But they would literally try to give you everything they possibly had uh, and could put on the table before you to enrich you as a guest. And now you think, God is going to do this? God, with his resources, is going to anoint me and make my cup overflow and 
banquet me? God is going to banquet me? And we'll talk about in the midst of my enemy in a minute and protection. But it shows that his provision is constant, unstoppable. It's protected. It comes at us so gloriously so that he can say goodness and mercy, and you should translate mercy as steadfast love. It's, it's hesed. It's that standard word of God's covenant, committed love. And he says, this goodness and committed love will be my constant attendant every, all my life, every day, in every circumstance, in every relationship, whatever terrible thing I experience, whatever wrong is done to me, goodness and steadfast love follow me. You, you look back when something rough happens to you, and yeah, there they are. There's God's goodness and mercy. And they're saying to you, yep, right here, right here following you. This is all about... Not what's happening to you, but it's about God's goodness and steadfast love that he is bringing into your life in the midst of this thing. That's what your life is about. That defines you. Why? Because the Lord is your shepherd. The majestic, glorious Lord who governs all things. He is your shepherd. And so we're convinced of his all-powerful ability and readiness to do good to his people. And so we even anticipate in tasting this goodness and mercy of eternal housing with God. (laughs) Eternal housing with God. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Housed in his palace forever. In the eternal welcome and hospitality of God that is poured out Upon us. And really, this last line speaks of the fellowship that we have with God, right? And you might say, some have thought maybe this is kind of the climax of everything that we will enjoy eternal fellowship, but really, it's a summary of everything he's been talking about. That's what fellowship is. This is all fellowship with God, this is all the essence of what God is to us. It's, a, it's the substance and essence of everything uh, of, of his being our shepherd is that we have fellowship with the living God. And so we've come into the environs as, of salvation, the land and castle and fort of safety and provision forever with this God. And so in our enjoyment of him presently, we constantly realize, and this will never end. This is forever. It can never be breached. It can never be overcome. God's commitment to me defines me now and forever. He is indeed my shepherd forever. And so this abundant provision that I have with God. And and you have to ask yourself constantly, is that what rules my life? Is This sense of goodness and mercy, this sense of today, the Lord is my shepherd. Today, the Lord is bringing me to an oasis in some way, no matter what else is happening in my life. Today, in the presence of enemies, in the presence of difficulty, I am at table feasting and my cup is overflowing. That's hard. That's really, really hard. But you see, as a shepherd... 
he brings you to enjoy that as well. It's not just that you have to drum up the faith. Part of his shepherding work, part of his sovereign work is to open your eyes to see him as shepherd and to open your heart to trust him as shepherd. And that's something you can helplessly come to him and say, Lord, I, I feel pretty distant from David's vision of you as shepherd. As many times as I've heard this psalm, I feel pretty distant from that being lived out in my day-to-day life. Oh, Lord, be my shepherd to bring me to this. Which gets into the second part of protection because he says he restores my soul, right? He restores me. And so let's start talking about, having talked some about provision, let's talk about the protection of this Savior, this, uh, this shepherd. And I'd like to talk in the first place of his protection by the fact that he restores me. That's a wonderful thing to think about as you think. This is one way he protects me is when I wonder, when I'm weak, when I fail, when I sin. As my shepherd, he restores me. He brings me back. He deepens me. He grows me. He enlivens my life. You can translate this restoring my soul, which means not just your soul, but your life, okay? Your whole life as a human being. To restore me, to recover me, to reclaim me, to resuscitate me, to revive me, to renew me, to repair me. All your re's you want to come up with, okay? This is what God does for me. This is his commitment to me as my shepherd. That he will do this to me constantly. And so again, you see, uh, he, he does this, it says, and leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Think about God's name. I am Yahweh. I am yours. All that I am is committed to your good. And for the sake of that name, that commitment that I will do you good, I will restore you and make you walk in right paths. For my name's sake, I will do that. Because I have committed to do you good. I have promised to do you good. That's my name. My name is a covenant to do you good. That's incredible. His name is a covenant to do you good. And he says, I will act in keeping with that name. And so he glorifies himself in your need as he meets your need in your helplessness, in your brokenness. That's how he honors himself. That's how he wants to exalt himself and show himself forth is to help us in our need to restore his sheep that are broken, to restore his sheep that are relationally broken with one another, to restore his sheep that have lost sight of the beauty of God himself. And so... He restores us to the right path and he recovers strength for us, gives us strength to walk in that path. And so there's the idea here of recovering you to the path and then strengthening you for that path. And many times for us as believers, restoration is many times it's more painful than your initial conversion. The pain of seeing how you failed God as a believer can just devastate you. Because you think, well, as an unbeliever, I did so and so and so and so. 
but how did I do this as a believer? How could I think that? How could I have said that? How could I have done that? How could I have done this for so long? How could I have immersed myself in this for this many months or years? And it's devastating to us. And sometimes restoration for a believer to the presence and grace of God makes us feel like we've been converted all over again. (laughs) We really do. Some of us think, I don't know if I was converted two years ago or converted this week. I don't know because this restoration is so amazing and glorious for me. That's what the shepherd does for his people. He does it for his namesake. And he draws us so that we are strengthened against sin, so that we now more than we did are gladly submissive to his will. He draws us with his love and shows us his love so that we give ourselves up to him where we were not doing so. Enabling you to treat people with a new kindness and fairness and grace, with a real concern that focuses on their needs. These are the, this is how he restores us. And his glory, isn't this wonderful? His glory is tied to the good that you live out in your life. His glory is tied to the righteousness that you live out in your life. Do you think he's going to act for his glory? Yes. You know he does. You know he will. And to hook his star, so to speak, to hook his star to your righteousness, you think, God, I I wouldn't do that. I I wouldn't mess around. That's very, very dangerous for you to hook yourself to these people's righteousness and for your glory to depend in some way upon that righteousness. He said, no, that's what I'm doing. My glory will be measured to how they are restored to righteousness. That's where my glory will lie. And brothers and sisters, I don't know anything that can give you more confidence that God will restore you than that His glory is attached to that restoration. His name is attached to that restoration. And He finds glory not in your deserving. And that's what this is not about. We're restored because we deserve. No, uh-uh, has nothing to do with it. In fact, it's, you don't deserve it. But he doesn't act because you deserve it. He acts to honor the greatness of his love that moves toward undeserving people. Is that a comfort or what? He glorifies himself by moving toward undeserving people and restoring them to himself. Now, what excuse do you have? (laughs) Really? What excuse do you have? You're going to bring your unworthiness up? You're going to bring, well, I don't deserve it. Oh, I'm too weak. Mm -mm. He honors himself in your weakness. He honors himself in your lack of desert. And as believers, we feel particularly unworthy many times of restoration. We feel our betrayal worse than ever. We're horrified that after what he's done for us, that we could turn away from him like that. We've trampled on grace in our sin. That's true. But we sometimes feel like we've trampled on it to ruin it, right? 
We, we really feel I've trampled on his grace. And we feel like I've destroyed grace. I've wiped grace out. But grace never depended on your righteousness. Grace was never given to you in the first place in response to your righteousness. The first time, like every time, he restores you is for his namesake. To show the greatness of his goodness and his mercy. So, trust him. Cry out to him. Be restored to him whenever there you fall away from him in sins big or small. And then this is the first part of his protective love, you see, that he restores you. What a marvelous thing. What a protection for his sheep. I restore you. I restore you. And then the great uh, statement that we all are familiar with. We've heard maybe as much as the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd is, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? It probably means simply the valley of the dark shadow or deep darkness. It's used in one place to describe a mining shaft, okay? So it includes uh, the, the whole realm of uh, bitter uh, difficulty and devastating circumstance, the things that are most threatening to my well-being, the things that most bring out my fear, my drive to protect myself, that most, uh, most attack me in life. That's what he's talking about here, including that of death itself. And what then happens there? What then happens here? He says, I don't fear evil, because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. Rod and staff may be the same instrument used in different ways. They're not sure exactly what this analogy is. But the idea of protection is clear, right? The idea of guidance is probably included here. And I have comfort only because of your presence that your power trumps whatever I'm facing. If you're present, it trumps whatever I'm facing. The only thing I could uh, think about to compare it to is if I'm being escorted by a whole troop of bodyguards and Secret Service and SWAT teams on the building and the Army, the Marines, and the Air Force, I only leave out the Navy because I'm on land, okay? (laughs) But, you know, there's there's my force. So I am going through a dangerous place. I am going through a place where people want to assassinate me, where people want to kill me and attack me. But I'm feeling pretty good, (laughs) feeling pretty good. I've got all these people surrounding me that are committed to protect me. That's the sense you see here. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm in dangerous place. I'm in a very difficult, dark place. But I don't fear because he, this shepherd that's committed by good, he is with me. And he uh, will protect me. And and what for us are rod and staff, okay? It's kind of... How does that translate to us? And I would point to his promise and his power are our rod and staff. That is, that enables me and comforts me that he has all power in this situation and he promises that he is mine. And then I've added another P and that is his passion. That is particularly he's died for me through the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that gives me confidence that he has died for me That's the level of his commitment and his passion to do me good is he's even, he even dies for me. 
and uh, he promises himself and he is all-powerful to protect me. Kind of like his sovereignty and his sacrifice. Those are two really rich words for your rod and staff. Lord, you are sovereign and you've sacrificed yourself for me. That's my rod and staff. That comforts me. That no matter what I'm going through, those things never change. Kind of like my father who is in heaven. My father who loves me and cherishes me. And he's in heaven. He's far above all the powers of this world. And there's this idea here of the warrior shepherd. The warrior shepherd. I was at my grandmother's. My grandmother had... Uh, in her new home that she lived down the highway up there in Boaz, Alabama, she had chicken houses. But in this particular place where we use the outhouse, yes, I'm an old timer. I've used the outhouse. I didn't live in the house, but I did spend a week up there sometimes. So I'm going out just to play with the little baby chicks that I see running around out in the backyard. And suddenly I have wild talons and beak in my face and I'm darting to the, the, the house because this, this mother hen is flogging me to death, you know, and only when I shut the door and, the, you know, the, her body's banging against the, the screen did I escape from that mother hen. And, you know, Cape Buffalo mothers have actually gored uh, lions and killed them who tried to attack their babies. And that's the idea here. Because of the Father's fierce love for you, the divine talons and horns are ready to fly to your defense. He runs shotgun for every one of his people. And, you know, hopefully we men would rush to protect our wives and children. And I know you women would rush to protect your child from an attacker, from a dog, from anything. You just would throw yourself in the way to guard your children. And I want to use that analogy Jesus did. He says, which one of you would, if your son asked for a fish, you'd give him a snake. Or if he asked for bread, you'd give him stone. How much more will your father in heaven? And let's turn it around and use it for prayer. If you're going to protect your children and you're evil... How much more do you think your father's going to protect you? I mean, you know about protect. You know that sense of protecting those that are weak, that belong to you. And you're evil. What do you think the father's going to do for you? What do you think of this shepherd and he, how he will care for you? I read years ago in um, Spurgeon's great uh, commentary, this little section that describes in the 1800s shepherds, very much like the shepherds that lived thousands of years before, except they had a few weapons that they didn't have earlier. But he says this, the shepherds themselves, these shepherds we saw, had none of that peaceful and placid aspect which is generally associated with pastoral life and habits. You know, kind of like the really bad versions of Jesus you've seen in movies, you know, where he's just so kind and nice and everything that you think he, he, he couldn't do anything, you know. I mean, sad to say. Um, and we sometimes have that idea of shepherds. They're just nice little people taking care of their sheep, you know. 
And he says, no. He said, they looked more like warriors matching, marching to the battlefield. A long gun slung from the shoulder, a dagger and heavy pistols in the belt, light battle axe or iron-headed club in the hand. Such were their equipments, and their fierce flashing eyes and scowling countenances showed but too plainly that they were prepared to use their weapons at any moment. Don't mess with my sheep. Okay, that was just exuded from them. You know, just looking around, you just think, God, I'm not touching that guy's sheep. Or, well, nor that guy. No, I'm not touching any of these guys' sheep. Or if I do, I better have a whole uh, cavalry to attack. And so the idea here, you see, it, we don't catch it at first, but there's this fierce loyalty. There's this hot flashing eye and scowl from God that that at anything that dares to harm you. Do you understand that? How much he loves you. How much, like he says in the prophet, he who touches you touches the apple of my eye. And he means the pupil of my eye. It's like getting touched in the eye. How sensitive is that? He said, that's what it's like anytime you get hurt, anytime you feel anything, anytime you have danger. It gets me immediately. And so... In the presence of your enemies, he anoints your head with oil. In full view. And they can't do anything to stop it. That's wonderful. They, whatever they would try to do, they can't stop it. And not just enemies such as Satan and persecution, but tragedy and loss and death of loved ones and relational devastation and a background of pain growing up, suffering of any sort, sin and self he prepares a table in the presence of those enemies. Do you see? He's not bounded by whatever you've been through. He's not bounded by your suffering and loss and sin. You are never a victim of anybody or anything ultimately. No matter how bad you're wrong, no matter how bad you're betrayed, you are always being nourished, always being banqueted by God, and his enemies can't do anything to stop it. That's who this God is. That's who this shepherd is. And he is your shepherd. Each of you need to say, the Lord is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. Is dedicated to my good, my protection, my provision. And of course, this is ultimately gloriously expressed by Jesus. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep that they might have abundant life. And no one will snatch them out of my hands. You see... The shepherd is the one who came and bled and died in our place, suffering our punishment that he might rescue us and have us and protect us and that we might dwell with him forever. That Lord is your shepherd. The dying Lord, the suffering Lord is your shepherd. But he is only a shepherd to those, as Calvin said, who touched with the sense of their own weakness and poverty, feel their need of his protection and willingly abide in his sheepfold. It's not automatic. 
Do you see your need of a shepherd? Do you see your need of one who would shepherd you all the way through life, through judgment, out of condemnation and hell and into eternal life? Where are you going to find that? Where are you going to find a shepherd like that who has bled and died for sinners and who welcomes the worst of the lot to come and sit at his banqueting table? Oh, I urge you, if you've never trusted Christ, come to him even today. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, glorious, glorious Lord, we praise your great name. We praise your love. We praise your care. We praise your provision and your protection. A protection that spent itself lavishly on the cross itself a protection that did not stop from bearing wrath on our behalf. Truly the good shepherd laying down his life for his sheep. Lord, thank you for the privilege of belonging to your flock. This flock, which as Paul said, you obtained with your own blood. Oh Lord, may we all the more give ourselves up to your will all the more be dedicated to your care, to your word, to pouring out our hearts to the shepherd who cares for us and living out the new life that this shepherd brings to us. Oh, bless us for your name's sake, not because we deserve it. Amen.